This is Bragg, the son of Balan, and you're listening to Light the Beacons, a Lotro podcast. Welcome to the world of Middle-earth. are lit. Lotro calls for aid. And Brog shall answer. Amandine, here in the foothills of the White Mountains of Erid Nimres, tomfoolery is once again kinseled. Welcome back to Light the Beacons, the only Lotro podcast that dares to say, my goodness, that is some intriguing filth. This is episode number 78, and I'm your host, Brag of the Lonely Mountain, the Sultan of Shieldswipe, the Earl of Agro, Pork Chopper and Dwarf of Ill Repute, broadcasting live from temporary LTB MEWHQ, five from Fethilian, coming to you live from the slag hills in the wastes. Yes, I'm sitting on top of one of the very hills where I stood beside Aragorn as we fought off the last vestiges of the attack in the Moranin, and uh, all looked bleak and lost, rangers dying left and right. Pippin buried under a troll, even Mithrandir looking a little doubtful. And suddenly the eagles came, and the skies opened up, and the black gate was shattered. And uh, it's kind of a beautiful night out here in the wastes, as beautiful as the wastes go. The sky looks kind of epic. Looking at the black gate, it is uh, it is uh, smoking, of course. Uh, I can see the, the mountains of the Efelduath in the distance. And as I look east, I can see Langruven. It's got a pink and purple sky behind it that is glowing with a bunch of uh, ruins on top of the mountains. Behind me, I can see Andohar's Folly kind of outlined against a gray sky. And off to the west, I see uh, a tower of Harandir, and of course, Karkost and Narkost framing the gate. And the sky in front of me is black, so every direction a different, uh, a different sky, and some very pretty pictures. And of course, the valley below is filled with waste, with uh, the machines of war now shattered, hillsides covered with giant wormholes. I expected to see more wormholes or more of the worms that come out of those holes in Mordor. And that's something that, uh, luckily for us, I guess, did not come to pass. Uh, Why am I here on the Slag Hills? Well, it's one of the most key points in all of the epic storyline, obviously. Uh, The turning point in the epic storyline for, and uh, kind of presaging all the adventures that we're now experiencing in Mordor. And uh, why am I uh, gracing such a key point in the epic storyline? Well, stick around for the podcast and you may find out. But for right now, we med room on to our next beacon. We've come to Elanok, and as usual, we first got to deal with a lot of C-R-A-N-P, corrections, retractions, and apologies from last week. So last time out, we offended gold spammer wardens, skirm haters, loot box lovers, and elves. And to everyone else that was offended, we offer a solemn and very heartfelt 
Sorry. Viewer comments. Agree to disagree. Uh, iTunes reviews. Let's check out the leaderboard. Last review of the podcast was left by F. Duddy, a.k.a. Fielder, on October 9th of 2017, and he currently has our high score. Uh, as always, if you want to join this illustrious dearth of reviewers, then please, by all means, continue to do Netflix and chill. Viewer feedback. Agree to disagree. Uh, Tommy Ork wrote in, Tommy Ork of York, medieval barber. Like almost everything in Lotro, he says, loot box are about choice. You can choose to participate or you can choose not to. For me, not participating in certain Lotro subsystems, including loot boxes, decreases the gold sink, which obviously then increases the size of my pocketbook. From there, depending on how much you'd want to flip those unwanted or unused items, you can move from the hundreds of gold to the tens of thousands rather easily. I recently passed 10k gold by continuing to auction off the following items. Loot box keys, never got anything good out of them. Cosmetic pets, I have these turned off, so selling them is like selling something invisible anyway. Housing items, maybe I'll stop selling these when housing becomes relevant in some manner. And anything essence related, crafting those cooldown recipe components to sell, and that's about 50 gold per day. So I think he's talking about, for example, the quality Doomfold ingot and or the quality Doomfold gems that you can make as jewelers. Um, or the quality, quality Doomfold hides you can make as a tailor. 50 gold per day is not a bad payday if you're not using those items. Tumeric says, as, as they say, to each their own, MMOs give you the freedom to play however you want. However, I will leave loot boxes in my filtered out list. Oh, and the new mic filter sounds good. Thanks very much. Uh, let's try it once again. Let me see. Um, Peregrine Pippin took, uh, picked a pack of peppers at Pinty Peldot. Yep, still working. Um, so, uh, you know, absolutely agree with this. If, you know, min-maxing is not your thing and you're not going into the essence grind, you don't need Ashes of Gorgoroth for the best, uh, armor out there, uh, you can net a lot of gold. But what are you going to spend that gold on? Uh, most people use it to buy gear. So that's another way, another way to staff up, uh, buy essences and buying gear by selling off the things that people are using to grind for those things and just buying them, I guess, is another option. Uh, but again, if you're not running tier two content or raids you don't need those things either so uh you can buy cosmetics to your heart's content or perhaps that theorbo that you've always had your um your focus on so tommy york of york medieval barber thanks for writing in again appreciate the uh the different perspectives and points of view as always in community spotlight ang dang has been uh Premiering some videos of Bulwar builds of Northern Mirkwood, exploring some of that content and landscape. And early reviews are in that the landscape looks solid as usual. Of course, we have to wait for some of that quest content and uh, you know some of the frameworks around Endgame that are usually added late. But from what I've heard and seen, um, I believe we could be looking at the release of Update 22. Uh, in the next two to three weeks, potentially, uh, so mid to late March, which would be kind of exciting. Uh, also in Community Spotlight, the sunsetting of another podcast community stalwart that I will discuss a little later in the show. Forums Insider, Grumble, 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 Pitchfork, Torch, Angry Mob Sound Effect. Nothing going on in the forums that I want to be a part of. So in this week's action-packed episode, we are going to talk a little bit about what we've been doing in-game these past few weeks. 
We're going to review a new top 10 list with the most dramatic moments in the history of the epic storyline. We will discuss a recent announcement about yet another podcast departure from the Lotro community. And lastly, if we have any time remaining, we will end the podcast prematurely. But if you want to have time for that, we better get moving along. To the third beacon of Nardal. This week in gaming and or other Tolkien news. Uh, other games, uh, what have I been doing? So this past weekend, uh, I you ever go back and had a game that you half finished? I don't like leaving things half finished. So I have a few games on the Wii that started and never finished. And uh, every once in a while it bugs me. And I'm like, I'm going to go back and see if I can make progress on this game and or finish it because I am a completionist. So um, I had a Saturday morning to myself recently, and I went back and tried to load up and play with the intention of finishing on the weekend the game Okami. And one of the reasons that came up is that Okami has recently been ported to the PS4. Um, so it's a game that's popular enough that it's still being carried forward to newer platforms. And I have to admit, um, there were some things I really liked about Okami, even on the Wii. Uh, the graphics were very different. It's like uh, playing inside of a Japanese painting almost. And uh, the art style was unique and the gameplay was different. And uh, although following the storyline and figuring out where you had to go could sometimes be frustrating, um, the overall aesthetic of the game was very pleasing. So I was probably about, I don't know, two-thirds of the way through Akami on the Wii and always looking forward to finishing because as you go through the game and clean up corrupted areas, there's a very beautiful effect where everything that you've purified uh, suddenly turns beautiful again. It sweeps through the landscape and transforming it. And it's very satisfying when that happens. I was looking forward to seeing the final reveal. The problem is the Wii game would not load. I tried another disc, nope. I tried another disc, nope. Wii game's not loading. So my question, what do you do when you have about 40 Wii cartridges, even if you don't play them that often, and your Wii is no longer loading them? Well, a couple different options. Uh, first of all, I could try to send the one in I have in for repair. Uh, it just seems like a bit of a waste of time and money for an older platform that we're using infrequently now even given the back catalog of games that we have some of which we still break out at parties and other times you know mario kart doesn't get very old unless you have the new one of course and we don't um so i could buy a new unit um, the problem with that is i would lose any progress or unlocks in any games we have ever played including okami and i'm not going to go back and start okami on the wii over again i was barely willing to finish it after uh, the progress i had made and uh, the thing that annoys me about this is if if they had backwards compatibility on the switch to play wii games i would have bought a switch already that is the only thing that was holding me back uh, I don't want a fourth console. <laughs> I have a Wii, a PS3, and now a PS4 sitting in my entertainment center. And I do not want a fourth gaming console sitting there. First of all, I don't think I have the USB ports or space uh, or the heat to leave it in there. Um, it's There's not enough room. It's a pain. So, again, um, although I am super tempted from everything I've heard about uh, Breath of the Wild, uh, the new Zelda game, as well as Super Mario Odyssey, uh, the latest version of that game. Uh, Switch sounds like a, a real intriguing platform with some fun titles on it that you won't be able to get anywhere else. Uh, just 
can't believe that Nintendo decided not to make it backwards compatible for the Wii, or at least Wii U games. Uh, that would be at least the very least that I seem they could do. But, um, you know, in their wisdom, you know, lump that in with the other decision I hated with them recently about uh, uh, the SNES marketing and distribution fiascos that they've dealt with over the last two Christmases. And I'm about had it with them, let me tell you. All right, so uh, what else have we been playing? Enough of complaining about not being able to finish Okami. I'll figure that out at some point. I have been playing a little bit more Shadow of Mordor around the Sea of Nern. I have two out of five War Chiefs branded. And I have to say, um, recently as I acquired the power to turn orcs into my uh, following, which kind of puts the kind of a light blue spiritual uh, glow in their eyes, I have to say I'm not exactly sure what's going on, but suddenly... There are little light-eyed guys running around all over the place in my fights. And the fights are getting very confusing. They're getting easier, right, because I have a lot of guys on my side, but still very confusing. It looks like you can hit your own guys still and damage them, and they're running around, and, you know, it's a big pile at works, right? I'm not sure which ones are mine or which ones are someone else's or how this, they're spreading so quickly. Um, but, uh, you know, kind of the attitude is kind of like kill them all and let... Uh, uh, you know, let Iluvatar sort them out later, right? But, uh, uh, so that game is kind of snowballing a little bit in terms of excitement and, and interesting things going on there. Um, continuing to make a little bit of progress on it. And I think I talked to you last time about a game I bought for 69 cents called Hate Love and all the other things. And I'm working through that game, puzzle game, slowly. Want to have some time as well. Uh, but uh, a good buy for 70 cents, I would say, so far. Um, last time out, I think I talked about all the movies I've seen recently. Looking forward to the Oscars coming up this weekend. Already made my Oscar prediction, so I'll come back and revisit those post-show and let you know how those go. Uh, what's going on in Lautro? Well, it's back into the winter Yulefest grind as Yulefest premiered again this week. And there's a lot of call-out and chats going, why is Yulefest back? I guess no one looked at the schedule and realized it was coming back. Uh, so out of grinding tunes through my daily present from Mary Sandoval, I've got one, only one stat tomb additionally so far. But, um, what I am working towards is I had a lot of tunes over the course of the Yulefest that, um, generated fragments of the shadow essences um, and you need four of them to turn it in at the vendor underneath the party tree in order to turn it for an essence and in most of my tunes I had three so I needed one more for each of my tunes basically which is ten quests apiece and I think the Yule Fest is basically back open for about two weeks or about ten days. So if I go through and do one quest apiece, not only will I generate a present for Mary Sandoval, but by the end of that time frame I should have ten quests for each tune, uh, which should complete a set of four fragments, shadow fragment essences, and should generate a whole bunch of, I believe, level ten shadow essences that I can use in my recipes in order to create empowered abyssal essences so um, taking that as an opportunity to finish those off and any tokens I generate out of that I will trade in for additional crystal crystals or essence reclamation scrolls as the case may be uh, so I consider the time to be productive and as always even though it's a it's a reprise for the Yule Fest activities uh, when you go into winter home it is a 
a buzzing beehive of activity as per usual. Just seems like the festival where they got the setting and the quests grind and the rewards that you can earn for them just right, and that's why it continues to be one of the more popular offerings. Uh, Bragg has not been doing a lot, but I did run a level 115 level Court of Saragost, and I haven't done a lot of level 115 tier 2 Court of Saragost runs. Uh, I've done a couple. I've done a ton of 105s generating Scrolls of Empowerment, but not many 115 tier 2s. And they seem to be getting more popular now, being called out in world chat, now that uh, Court of Saragost 105 tier 2 run got nerfed is uh been clarified recently and is no longer offering the challenge mode uh with Kittelnacht coming out in the final boss fight in order to um earn the second chest so without a challenge available at level 105 apparently that was an oversight that was never supposed to be there who knew people have been doing it for months on end every day because uh, it was a pretty good deal um so in any event, uh, one run of uh, Cortisera Grost netted me level 115 tier 2, netted me 10 scrolls of empowerment in one run, which is nice. Uh, I would say generally speaking, running 105 tier 1 and tier 2, I might generate 5 or 6 if I was lucky. So 10 in one run, although obviously the run takes longer. Along with, uh, I also re received three potentially useful pieces of armor and jewelry um, that if I can't use, I can ash. And also a purple rune of striking, which went right into my LM staff. So the runes that you can get out of the 115 runs are nice because they are uh, bound to your account. You can trade them across tunes. And uh, from what I've heard, other people tell me those runes can make a pretty big difference. Uh, you know, getting a healing rune for your healer or DPS rune or even, um, you know, some kind of mitigation or guard blocking rune that you can use for tanks. So I uh, might be running some more 115s to look for those. So what's the difference in the level 115 run? Uh, first of all, in the first boss fight, uh, it becomes more crucial to exchange rooms for the two bosses to avoid their mega bleeds. So you bring the Morval from one side over to the other side and the other Morval on the other side over to the other side. So uh, basically you divide up two and one. <coughs> Whoever is the one tries to kite. Um, and the two focus on the female Moraval until they're able to burn her down, and then you go down and kill the other one. Um, and uh, the uh, I will say that the Mega Bleeds that you get in Tier 2 are much more serious and uh, can become important to, uh, if you're a guard, to build up the fortifications that you can uh, generate uh, when you're tanking using shield skills. Uh, so the fortification buffs uh, give you mitigation buffs and once you have the full uh, the full fortification buffs up as a guard um, then the bleeds are not uh, are more manageable and are able to be healed through. So that's kind of an important thing to note if you're a tank. Uh, what else? So in the second boss fight uh, when you're dealing with the Mouth of Sauron. Uh, if you're the guard, it's important to shield wall your healer or another squishy DPS, say if you have a runekeeper, to avoid them getting one shot as he builds up his, uh, his blast disease uh, skill, AoE skill. That's, uh, I think it goes in all directions, basically. It's unidirectional. So, so um, 
putting a shield wall on the other tune can help them withstand that. It's a pretty good shot, but you can recover from it otherwise. We didn't have to do a lot of kiting or anything. We were able to just stand there and beat him down. Um, just takes a little bit more healing, obviously. And in the third boss, what I learned is uh, when Killnox does come out on the Tier 2 challenge, he's the kind of sub-boss bat that you have to kill before you destroy any of the cauldrons, um, he's got a 30-second stun, which at the Tier 2 challenge level is deadly given the adds that would be on you. So it's important that when you grab him as the tank that you avoid that 30-second stun, by, uh, which is basically insta-death by kiting him in circles around the group while others take pot shots at him until he's dead. And the guard also needs to kite the Marvel adds as much as possible to leave the healer and the DPS free to do their jobs on the cauldrons. Um, so we actually had a, I was doing the run with a, a mini and an RK for DPS and uh, it was pretty close actually. I, I got snagged and caught um, with a stun and I got killed and then our mini went down, I'm sorry, our RK went down and only our mini was left and he was running around kiting the mobs but uh, basically the RK had put a dot on the last uh, cauldron and as that dot ticked down, it took down the final cauldron before the mini got caught and killed and we, we won the fight. So it was kind of exciting, actually. Um, so, again, uh, you know, a little bit tougher challenge, obviously. you got to be geared with, uh, you know, at least purple 337 gear would be good. And uh, But the rewards are pretty nice. And uh, I'm going to start trying to farm some of those runes from my other tunes. My mini has been doing Allegiance dailies and related runs and uh, still slowly ticking off Mortar Deeds. Uh, still not sure if I'm going to do Slayer Deeds after or not, but I'm at least working on the continued efforts for each zone as I go through the Allegiance dailies. And I've been opening up loot boxes. Not quite as lucky with them recently. Uh, you know, usually maybe 240 Ash, maybe a Tier 10 Essence here or there, which is probably what I need to get those empowered Abyssal Essences. Uh, Cappy's about the same as the mini. Uh, Loremaster doing a few daily runs and still trying to ramp up as uh, the last, uh, my fourth tune where I'm funneling scrolls of empowerment. And once his book is maxed out, then we'll be able to move on to the next tune. Uh, my Berg is almost done with Dor Armorth. He finished the Aegilos task line and just need to go back into Lugash one last time to deal with, uh, Kin Greymund. Uh, Vaskman and his uh, cohorts, and then Dor Armor to be finished. Uh, I did open up an allegiance line with my Berg, and since I had one each of the others through all my other uh, tunes, I chose, and I was going to be repeating them now, I chose dwarves because, uh, you know, I'm a Berg and uh, dwarves are greedy, so I figured, you know, latch on to the greed of the dwarves as a Berg. And I completed the Completed that allegiance area in order to get the ring and the cloak and just need uh, to turn my my Berg over to level 112. She's 111 right now. Uh, to be able to trade in tokens of service for the other allegiance level rewards in there that are all 112. And again, I'm enjoying the Berg because on your fifth character through Mordor, a change of pace is nice. It can be very efficient for questing, never having to aggro anything either horseback or when you're stealthed. You know, for example, traveling to King Vaskmon in Baradur, I just stealthed my way through everything in Baradur until I got down to a cell. You have to be careful around the cargols in there because they have auras that will pop you out of stealth, same as the drakes that are on the landscape that have a fire aura. Uh, but if you pass them by and you do aggro them, you can run for a while until your morale is low and then hips. Uh, and then do hit ready enable and uh, have it come back and run, you know, stealth some more until you run into another one.
and able to get down there basically without having to fight anything else. My hunter is now level 107, and I finally decided it was time to replace my level 95 fully maxed but not imbued legendary weapon with a level 100 version that I could prime for imbuement. So uh, she had a level 100 imbued uh, bow, of course, but not a sword. Le sword was at level 95, uh, was a first ager, had made done with it for a while, but knew I was eventually going to replace it. So I started the replacement process, and literally two hours later, I will spare you the details. I've done other podcasts where I've gone through all the steps that you need. To, uh, to trade in for a new LI and level it up to the point where you can imbue it and get it ready for Scrolls of Empowerment and uh, Crystals and all that fun stuff. Um, so one note for Hunters, while I was revisiting the Optimal Legacies for a Hunter Weapon Legendary item, I came across the factoid that um, there's a legacy called Needful Hasteration. It's probably a legacy I would never have slotted uh, until I found out that once you imbue it, it turns into barrage damage after imbuement. Yeah, like that's intuitive. So since barrage is currently one of the most important hunter DPS skills in the rotation as I understand it, uh, I'm, you know, I'm not an expert on hunters, but I've heard a lot of people say I can hit sit there and hit barrage all day and that's all I need. Um, so that'll probably change, I'm sure, when they do class revamps. But as of right now, it sounds like one of the most important Hunter DPS skills and one that you certainly want on your LI. So I'm glad that I figured that out and won't need to go back and correct that mistake at a later date. My Bjorning made level 107, puttering around in winter home. My champ made level 68, puttering around in winter home and has got to go back to Mirkwood at some point and finish off the Barrett Golder Skirms. Uh, my RK is level 57 out of Winter Home and uh, just hobby horsing around as he's wont to do. Um, I did finish a quest on him that had been sitting in my log for a long time. Uh, now that he's level 57, obviously he's moved on from uh, Angmar and into Moria. But there was one quest I left in my backlog which is uh, called Help from the South. It's a quest line out of Garth Forthnir. Uh, where just south of there and north of um, Barad Guleron, there's a ranger hiding in a bush. And if you escort him, he runs all over the landscape, getting in trouble with spiders and bats and Moraville until he finally clears the scene and uh, basically can move on without your help. And I've tried this quest before many times. It's a small fellowship quest, and of course it's hard to find small fellowships in Hangmar nowadays. Uh, so I always try to over-level it and, um, and then run it over-leveled. And it can be extremely difficult. It's still dangerous even though the mobs are green. Uh, either, you know, you have trouble surviving or you're not quick enough burning down. You know, if you have a survival class like a tank, uh, you know, before you burn all the mobs down, they can uh, basically kill the guy you're trying to escort, Muladan. So it's a bit of a pain in the neck and it is fun to go back and conquer that quest and finish it and get it out of your... Uh, quest log. So I did that with my RK. Um, warden is level 40 and doing nothing. My high elf warden is level 16 and hanging out smoking pipe weed, of course. And that's about it for all I've been doing in Lotro. I think it's move on to our fourth beacon of Erelas. Erelas is a flame. Good evening, friends. In the Beacon of Aerolas this week, uh, I decided it's time for a yet another in my long-standing series of top 10 lists. And as usual, the top 10 lists uh, don't come anywhere near 10 items. Uh, it was too hard to winnow them down. So what I have for you tonight 
is an epic tale, an epic tale of epic proportions, an epic tale of highlights of epic proportions. And I'm going to discuss with you the 15 most epic moments in the epic storyline. And I'm very interested in hearing your feedback. If you agree with some of these or if you think I missed a few, uh, I did most of these off the top of my head. It's certainly possible that I could be missing some epic, epic storyline moments that you feel are truly the most dramatic uh, out there. And the other thing I've done is instead of listing them in order of drama, I've listed them in the order that you would encounter them in the epic storyline so that, uh, you know, basically they're sequential. So these are not ranked by what I think is the most dramatic moment in all the epic storyline. But these 15 moments stood out to me as, uh, you know, some of the key moments. Obviously, the epic storyline is one of the strengths of uh, Lotro as an MMO. Um, it's got some of the most exciting story elements. They spend the most time on it. You know, there are side quest lines also that are always stories that are worth doing. But the epic story is really where Lotro makes its meat and potatoes, where it weaves in with Tokian's narrative most closely and has the most inventive and uh, usually um, interesting mechanics and or twists, uh, as the saying goes, that really drive the story and your tunes journey through middle earth forward so without further ado i want to list the 15 most dramatic or epic moments in the epic storyline according to the book of bragg and the first entry in the book i have is uh volume one book one chapter 11 Othrin goth Tom Bombadil's rescue. So you've made your way all the way through the Great Barrow. You've confronted a black rider. You've seen Samborg and fought him. Fought him almost to the point of... And uh, just as you thought you could not resist any longer and that you were on the verge of death, Tom Bombadil... Spoiler alert. Yeah, I guess I should spoiler all of these. If you haven't finished the epic storyline, go back and run it before you look at these. Tom Bombadil busts through the wall brings some sunlight down into the Great Barrow and rescues your butt. Uh, so, very dramatic moment. And then he sings a little song and skips off like the ne'er-do-well uh, man of little care that he is. And that is a dramatic moment. So, you get how this works. Next, Volume 1, Book 8, Chapter 5. We've gone all the way to Mordrus Fall. So, you've penetrated... The gates of Karndoom. You've penetrated the castle of Karndoom. And with Goladir, you have fought Mordrith in his own throne room and slain him. Well, for the first time at least. Obviously, you've got to do it like eight more times or something like that. But um, And as you're sitting there in triumph, you notice to the right of Mordrith's throne is a palantir. And then suddenly you are frozen. Sarah Oakhart runs into the throne room, steals the palantir underneath your noses, and escapes out of a side door. And that is a dramatic moment that I did not see coming the first time I saw the epic storyline. Number three, volume one, chapter 15, book 12. One hope remains. And as you fight through the ring forges of a region, and uh, once again confront Mordrith and Mordrambor, on a kind of a a plateau that's outside of the ring forges that's kind of set with a uh, interesting kind of backdrop and Normaleth's final stab to defeat Mordrith and avenge Lairdin is the epic storyline dramatic moment number three number four 
Book two, we're into volume two, I'm sorry. Book three, chapter nine. We Cannot Get Out, the Ori session play from the first hall to the bridge of Khazadum to the chamber before its destruction to the chamber of Marsable. Uh, the session play that details the demise of the dwarves in Moria and for the expedition of Balin is a dramatic moment in the epic storyline uh, and one that caused uh, Bragg, son of Balin, uh, much ballyhoo and uh, tears. Tears, tears, tears. Then we're on to volume two, book nine, chapter ten, The Exchange. This is where uh, we have penetrated Merc with, with uh, what's the group called? The, uh, the Royal Guard or Hidden Guard or whatever, the Elven Guard, basically. And uh, you have gone to the gates of Barad Guldur to make the trade of um, Mazog for the Dwarf Bori, for his recovery. And... Um, it goes awry, of course. Uh, an elf is slain, and uh, you return basically. Well, it's it's a long book, but it starts with uh, the poisoning of one of the elves, and uh, only one dram of uh, healing potion can be made, which is applied to Mazog in order to preserve this trade. And Bruin, uh, as I talked about in a recent episode, goes on an epic journey north. Uh, through many mounds, burial mounds, and, and eventually finds an additional flower so that the other health can be healed. Uh, that culminates in the exchange at the tower where one of the elves is slain, and uh, Bori continues to be a slave of the tower, which uh, eventually leads you into the skirmishes that lead to the battle in the tower. So um, that whole story point where... Mazog is egging on the, the dwarves, and the Eye of Sauron appears, and there's conflict amongst the group until the dwarf uh, Broin reappears with the extra uh, with the extra dram of po uh, uh, potion uh, that not only saves one of the elves, but really salvages the uh, budding new relationship between dwarves and elves, which will become so important as the races of the lands uh, gather together to face the coming evil of Sauron. All right, enough of that. Uh, volume 2, Chapter 9, Book 18, The Battle in the Tower. The blow that launched a thousand skirmishes when you finally take the axe of Zigglebark and swing it in a wide arc to take down Mazog. Um, it's, again, <laughs> because it's uh, got turned into a skirmish, uh, you're probably tired of that scene many times by now, but was very impactful the first time I ran through it. All right, moving on from Volume 2 to Volume 3, Chapter 4, 18, The Captive, where you and Lothrandir are betrayed by Lou Brennan and taken by wagon to become a slave in Isengard. Uh, number 8, Chapter 3, Book 6, Chapter 1, Troubled Dreams, one of my favorite books of the epic storyline, uh, where in the, uh, when the area of Dunland, when you uh, are in the camp of, oh gosh... Hildebrand, Hildegard, oh gosh, I'm not going to remember it. I'm going to look it up real quick because I think it's very important. Um, this book of the uh, this book of the epic story I thought was um, extremely interesting in the uh, the new dream state background that was used 
as uh, as part of the epic storyline that never used seen used anywhere before. And you first come across it in Grimbold's camp, uh, south of Nan Kuranir. And uh, basically, you have some visions traveling uh, with Nona and Horn and the elf that is with you, and uh, see some visions of being called to Galadriel on a quest that will eventually take you to the Great River. Troubled Dreams is a well-done chapter in the epic storyline. Uh, number nine, chapter three, book six, chapter eight, The Horn of Gondor. And this is, of course, the book that details the uh, breaking of the fellowship and the defense of Boromir uh, against uh, trying to protect Merry and Pippin after Frodo and Sam slip away from the hordes of orc, orcs that have spilled out from Isengard and come upon him on the banks of the Anduin uh, by the fall of Roros. And, uh, uh, you know, the way, that it's, uh, the way that it's framed in the epic storyline with waves of orcs coming one after the other with Boromir weakening with the comments of the, uh, of the hobbits in between each wave of orcs talking about uh, Boromir's fate um, was very uh, very touching moment, I thought. All right, uh, number 10, chapter 3, book 10, uh, chapter 15, I'm sorry, volume 3, book 10, chapter 15, The Bloom. And this is the story at the end of Wilderla, uh, um, Wildermore when Nona and Horn get back together after they split, uh, after meeting Horn's family. So, yeah. Gosh, isn't it always uh, isn't it always nice to meet uh, you know the in-laws, right? And that went so well uh, back in West Eastern Rohan and East of Net. Um, and they are separated all that time until they reunite in Wildemore, uh, and they go outside of the cave of the um, uh, the cave that Nona has been protecting the uh, Wildemore. Um, the what would you call them the escapees that uh, from the nearby town that are holed up and uh, they they come outside and they see the marching of the um, of the Huarns uh, on their way to Isengard and they they hold hands and there's a camera pan that goes across them and uh, the chapter is called the Bloom and if you've done the epic storyline I think you'll remember it very well uh, one of the more romantic books that have been in Lotro. Volume 3, Chapter 13, Book 11, The Door Ward, The Tale of Hama. And I've talked about this previously in other podcasts. I'll just uh, go through uh, the final words of Hama. I will not retreat from here the tread of a single foot, he cried aloud. A door ward I was, he shouted, and a door ward I remain. Even as he fell, he heard the horn of Helm Hammerhand echo in the deep. Forth, your lingas, ride to victory. Number 12, Volume 3, Book 14, Chapter 7, uh, Lothrander, or Lothrander's Reveal by Gun Ain. So, in the bowels of Isengard, of flooded Isengard, uh, the rangers find their kinmate Lothrandir, who staggers out after much torture by Saruman, seemingly changed, uh, until Gun Ain reveals that he is indeed whole. Uh, was uh, a nice plot twist, and to see Gun Ain again and the way Lothrander's reveal was done, very impactful. Number 13, Volume 4, Book 4, Chapter 8, What the Steward Saw. And this is the story of Minas Tirith 
as you uh, visit Denethor in the Tower of Ecthelion, and he gazes upon the Palantir, and uh, they so effectively made you believe that what you were viewing after that was not just a dream of Denethor, but actually occurring in real time, uh, all the way up to the Nazgul snatching Pippin off the off the top floor of Minas Tirith, and uh, I know I was crying out, "This isn't what happened!" No, <laughs> until they come back. So, uh, very effective storytelling device there. Uh, book volume four, book six, chapter seven: A Final Vengeance. This is, of course, Gollandir's two-handed flying sword plunge into the breast of the troll. And as he lies dying, uh, after defeating his foe, he entreats Coronir to guard Wenda, and so that he may die thinking of Lorneil as he always dot dot dot. And uh, although we've moved forward several several chapters in the epic storyline and started the Black Book of Mordor, at least to my mind. I don't believe we've ever come across what exactly he meant when he told Coronier to guard Wenda, dot, dot, dot. So that may be a secret that uh, still to be revealed by Maid of Lions, hopefully in a future book. Volume 4, Book 7, Chapter 9, and this is number 15, By Secret Steps. Uh, this is the book Out of the Wastes, where we follow Minchum uh, to do some spying on the Black Gate, and you have the epic camera pan that reveals the towers of Karkost, Narkost, and our first view of the Black Gate. And it, just for a bonus, I'll throw in number 16, Volume 4, Chapter 9, uh, Book 9, Chapter 2, The Destruction of the Black Gate, and the fact that the eagles are coming, which are revealed on top of the Slag Hill, where I stand, right now. Now we have nothing yet from the Black Book of Mordor in my mind that equals these epic moments. There's some interesting twists and turns in there, but nothing quite at that level for me. Uh, we'll see, as the Black Book of Mordor continues, whether it holds uh, moments that are as epic or dramatic as the ones that I've just recounted. So what do you think of my list? Are there those on there, ones on there that you like, ones on there that you agree with, or do you think I've totally missed the boat on some of these uh, and uh, you'd like to point out some others? Please write in, uh, either send me a tweet or an email, or uh, drop me um, a line at lightthebeacons.com and reply to, the, to this posting, and let me know if you think there are epic moments of the epic storyline that I missed. With that, let's move on to our fifth beacon. What the heck? Grima, you know, you're supposed to be at the soundboard, not in the restroom. <sighs> that guy. I'm going to have to do something about him, especially since we're almost upon the Ides of March, if you know what I mean. Now for the original weekly sponsor segment. This week is brought to you by Brag Nye, the Science Guy. And this week, and instead of a sponsor, I want to talk to you about an important theorem uh, that you can find out there in uh, most advanced physics textbooks. It's called Bragg's Law. And Bragg's Law is when x-rays are scattered from a crystal lattice. Peaks of scattered intensity are observed, which correspond to the following conditions. The angle of incidence is equal to the angle of scattering, and the path length difference is equal to an integer number of wavelengths. If you find that fascinating, go out there and apply Bragg's Theorem in your everyday Lotro travels, and I'm sure it'll help you out. 
And yes, that is a real theorem. It's Bragg's Law. Go ahead and look it up. And don't say I never taught you guys anything on here. Jeez. Let's move on to the next beacon of Callanhead. Yes, we moved on to the beacon of Callanhead, usually one of the more substantial beacons that we have. And I want to do a segment which I like to call a Requiem for Peril. I want to spend a few minutes to talk to you about the recent announcement from Roger Edwards uh, that he was at long last putting a peril-colored bow on the Contains Moderate Peril podcast. So looking back across my podcast history, uh, you know, currently there are podcasts out there. There's a really crappy one called Light the Beacons that I've heard of. Um, aside from that, uh, there's the offering by the Mythgard Institute and, of course, the longstanding stand, uh, you know, flag bearer for Lotro Podcast, Lotro Players. Um, but there are many, many more uh, that are either defunct or on semi-permanent hiatus that I've listened to over the years, including Casual Stroll to Mordor, the original flag bearer, through the Palantir, uh, primarily a PVMP uh, podcast back in the day. Lotro Reporter, which hung it up after 300 plus episodes. Uh, Secrets of Middle Earth. Uh, Liquid Lotro, a short lived but exciting one. Uh, the MMO Troll and Various Incarnations, which has some, sometimes been associated with Lotro, sometimes other titles. Lotro Cast, which is on semi permanent hiatus. Occasionally we'll see a new episode from Alros here and there. Lotro Academy, which also seems to be uh, hung up for now, uh, based on the fact that some of the primary uh, podcast hosts have uh, actually gotten uh, involved in real-life uh, work-career-type uh, uh, associations. Beneath Your Feet, uh, Beyond Boss Fights, obviously, the offering from Braxwolf, uh, Mortal or Bust, and now, uh, which was related to and eventually led to Contains Moderate Peril, a.k.a. Burton and Scrooge. You know, of course, this is the normal life cycle of a game and its community, and although CMP has been not been exclusively about Lotro for quite some time, um, their origins are closely linked. You know, games come and go, and so do players, and interest levels wax and wane and wax again. It's worth noting that the Lotro Twitch stream appears to be more popular than ever, and I've heard hosts like Scormus indicate that his YouTube series on Lotro is, you know, is a leap and bound more popular than when he publishes streams in other games like Rift, Guild Wars, or whatever. So even the popularity of certain channels or mediums can reflect the taste of the times. Still, it always saddens me when I see an established property that I have enjoyed for so long shuttering its windows, uh, despite my lack of willingness to fund such an enterprise in any material way. Hashtag sending thoughts and prayers to Roger. Uh, but in the history of Contains Moderate Peril, you know, it was born out of Mordor or Bust originally in the Clusions of Brian and uh, its primary host, Roger Edwards. Uh, Roger was a frequent guest of other podcasts in the community that much, he was much sought after for his wit and salient commentary. He was a member of TGen, the game and entertainment network, which was launched by Braxwolf and was included in all of their podcaster roundtables, which always had interesting things to say and a a uh, great deal of very knowledgeable uh, you know, points of view. And he was a supporter and then organizer and hoster at some point of the Newbie Blog Initiative, which I was involved with myself when I started podcasting. He's been a prodigious blogger over the years. He's uh, talked about uh, in his columns 
movies, uh, games, movies, the gaming industry, movies, uh, food now and then, gaming conventions and cosplay. Uh, always excited to see his blogs with all the pictures of cosplay in the UK. Uh, whatever's t whatever really tickled his fancy that week, including occasionally movies. So I joke, but more than a few times I've enjoyed some obscure cinematic gems that were recommended to me by Roger's blogs. In addition, he has many times talked about how the halcyon days of Lotro and his initial kin relationships sucked him hard into the MMO genre in a way that I identified with very strongly based on my own experiences. His uh, site and blog went through several reincarnations, including all the technical challenges of multiple hosting platforms migrating between them. It was open, it was closed, it was reborn, it was open again. <laughs> Through it all, however, whether he was discussing the merits of Hammer Studios' horror film productions of the 60s or waxing episodically about the merits of buying fresh rashers of bacon from the butcher, the hallmark of the podcast and blog has been meticulous attention to detail and professional quality writing with a well-considered and balanced point of view. It's been empty of the rhetoric and vitriol so common to other content creators in the industry. In fact, it's often commented on those specifically in a very measured way. When Roger had guests, which was frequently, he was adept at playing the uh, master of ceremonies and luring out the viewpoints and contributions of others. And through it all, perhaps most importantly, he has remained quintessentially British, which I'm sure has accounted for the lion's share of my fandom and appreciation. He always seemed like a damn good bloke to pop off to the pub with for a few pints, and that's the kind of gent that I don't mind at all passing quite a few hours with via blog or podcast over nearly the last decade. So here is one viewer, not now guys, I'm trying to get maudlin over here, okay? There's one viewer who wants to express some heartfelt and meaningful thanks to try to counterbalance the hundreds, I'm sure, of somewhat thankless hours that I know you spent in service to the community. And here's hoping we will continue to have the chance to appreciate your content and uniquely British wit in one form or another going forward in whatever manner most appropriately floats your boat. In the meantime, though, uh, though the peril has been moderate, the pleasure has been excessive. Cheers, mate. P.S. In retrospect, avoiding the title contains excessive pleasure was probably a solid choice to avoid unwanted net traffic of assorted nature. So, uh, scandals are good for ratings, but bad for reputation. That brings us to the seventh beacon of Halifurian. Sorry we ran out of time to end early. Hopefully next time it's time for Blessed Relief. I'm officially putting a little ochre-colored bow on the 78th episode of Light the Beacons. So I would love to hear your plaudits, fatback, fatback, your fatbacks, rants, diatribes, and most of all, your constructive critique. Give me diatribes, though. Those are my bread and butter. You can contact me at braggsonabound at gmail.com. That's brag with two A's. The second A stands for aspiration. Facebook or Twitter at braggsonabound or my website at likethebeacons.com where you can post comments directly on the podcast. I kindly request you take the time to create an iTunes review. If perchance you're so inclined, it's been five months maybe since the last one. I very much appreciate it. If your comments incite me to forego my legendary dwarven apathy, I will try to include them in the next podcast or respond in some way. So I hope you laughed either at or with me. Hope you might have learned at least a little something you didn't know before or perhaps looked at the game with a slightly different perspective. And most of all, I hope you enjoy your week in Middle-earth. This is Bragg, the son of Balon, and I am signing off.
Baruch Kazad. And remember, the next time you use an avatar in your podcast named Burton, and millennials think you're talking about Tim Burton instead of Richard, don't despair. Light the beacons. <laughs>